So we continue here in our study in 1 Corinthians as uh, tonight's title says how to survive the judgment of others. How to survive the judgment of others. And I'm sure nobody here has ever felt the judgment of other people, right? <laughs> um, it happens, right? People make judgments and people can be judgmental. Um, and there's a difference. If we're going to see some of that as we go through this tonight, there is a difference between being judgmental and making judgments. Um, but we do sometimes have this problem with our judgmentalness, right? And it can be fickle at times. And, and our verdicts change depending on certain criteria, right? Whether someone's popular or not, whether somebody um, seems to be smart, uh, that determines sometimes how we judge them or what, what verdict we come up with. On the other hand, we may judge someone um, more harshly if we think they're less educated or if we think that they are poor, uh, poorer than us. And, and again, this is a human nature thing. It's sin, but it's where this judgment sometimes originates. And, 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 and it clouds things, right? Because of our humanness. Um, an example of this, before we get started, pretty interesting. I read this week, this example. In the spring of 2013, a fic fictional novel was debuted on Amazon and the title of this uh, book was The Cuckoo's Calling. The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. And it basically got great reviews as far as the content, you know, the literary content of the, of the book. But the sales were really nominal, uh, lackluster in a sense. For the first three months, it only sold 8,000 copies uh, worldwide. And then uh, the first week of July, by the time we got to July, it only sold 43 copies. So it looked like this book was destined for the trash heap, right? Uh, but then something unprecedented happened. The next week, after July 4th, the following week, the book jumped from 4,709th place <laughs> in the bestseller list to number one in one week. It's, it, it sold over 18,000 copies in just four days. What happened, right? What happened? Well, here's what happened. It was revealed that week that Robert Galbraith was a pseudonym for J.K. Rowling, the novelist of the best-selling Harry Potter series. And so what happens there, it shows us how people made a judgment. They were going to buy the book when it was poor, uh, poor old Ga uh, Galbraith, Robert Galbraith, right? Whoever that is. Well, it's nobody. Obviously, we know now. But they weren't going to buy it from a nobody. But when they heard who it was, right, they made this judgment based on this person that they knew, right? Based on name, status, position, etc. And so that's, again, a human nature problem about how we make judgments. That's, that's why uh, we have to be careful about this, right? Now, now this is the same stuff is happening in Paul's day. The same judgments being based on someone's education or their standing or their reputation or their name. Remember, they're saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Peter, right? And so Paul's going to deal with this. And, and Paul himself is being judged very harshly by some of these people. And so he knows what it is to be falsely accused. He knows what it is to have critical judgment placed upon someone. And so today he kind of deals with that. And it helps us because, again, all of us face judgment from those in this world and even maybe in our own family. So let's notice how to deal with that and uh, how, how to be able to survive the judgment of others. Verse 1, Paul says this. He says, This is how one should regard us. So I love what he's starting here. He says, okay, I know you're regarding us based on your judgments, based on what name you think we have or prestige you think we have or education you think we have as apostles. But here's how you should judge us. Here's how you should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now this word servant there, uh, he uses two words. He uses the word servant and the word uh, uh, steward. Now the word servant here is, is not the same word diakonos where we get the word deacon. Um, that, that they're close, but this is the word uperites, very close. They both mean to serve. They both mean to work hard for somebody. But this word here, uperites, has the meaning, a little more stress, the meaning that there is great responsibility to the master who assigned them this task. And so that goes right hand in hand with the word steward, 
right? So the servant with great responsibility and a steward, Paul said. We are, we are stewards of something. Now, the steward, the word there, oikonomos, oikonomos, has this idea of having been entrusted with something, right? You've been given great authority and responsibility for something. And that word is also used a lot in the parables of Jesus for that, the, uh, the, the manager of a household, right? That's a steward. He's basically, or she's basically a manager of a household. And, and I say she, I don't know why I did that. Historically, it was always males. I mean, the manager that they would put in charge of the households in the, the New Testament era, in the Roman Empire era, they were males and they were over the household when the master of the household was gone. Now, there's no greater responsibility. Just, just like Joseph, if you remember that story in Potiphar's house, he ended up being the ruler of the house. He did everything in, in that house. And so this is, this is the position we're talking about that Paul is using to say there's been this great responsibility given to us as apostles. We are servants and we're also stewards, meaning that we are now the managers of something. And we are very accountable to the master of the house. Who again, by the way, if you remember in all the parables, they would, they, they would be the ones responsible to the, to the master. The, the, the house manager would be responsible. When that master got back, he would say, well, what have you done for me? What, if, what, if, what improvements have you made, right? What did you do with what I gave you? How did you invest what I gave you and make better of it? So the question for us is, what is Paul talking about? What has been entrusted to him? Well, none other than the very mysteries of God. The mysteries of God, he said. We are servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. So that's how you should look at us. We're not, there's nothing about us that's great. We are simply servants and we're stewards. Some, the, the responsibility that we have has not been something we conjured up ourselves. We didn't do anything to earn this. It's been placed upon us. And we are servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. So 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 7 describes to us, I'm not going to read these, but we already read these during the past weeks. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 7, Paul describes the mysteries of God as being the gospel. The gospel, that good news of Christ, that the, the plan of salvation that had been hidden since the time of the prophets. That's what he's saying. And now it's been revealed to us in Christ. So again, remember that. The whole Bible is about Christ. All the Old Testament points to Christ. The prophets, the Levitical sacrifices, the temple, the, the Passover lamb that was slain and the blood was placed on the doorpost and the death angel passed by. All that is pointing to Christ who is the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He is the better temple. He is the better priest. He is the better Moses. He is the fulfillment of all. And so that's what Paul is saying. This was a mystery up until now, the prophecies. But now they've been revealed, and that's been placed on us, he's saying. And we're to be good stewards with this, and we are to faithfully proclaim these, these mysteries. So there's a duty, right? There's a, there's a duty to be faithful to what has been committed to him as a steward. That's why he goes on in verse 2 to say a verse that's been very much quoted, right, throughout the years, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Moreover, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. It's required in a steward that he be found faithful. It's a powerful verse. I mean, there's a direct context, but there's a looser uh, kind of interpretation that we've all preached. And that just means with any of us. What does God expect of us? What is the number one thing that God expects from those whom he has saved by his grace? Does he expect them to be uh, well-educated with a master's in theology? Does he expect them to be tremendous performers and orators and get up and, and speak boldly before thousands? Does, does he expect them to be people who can go out to a place that is scary, like a mission field, and give their lives for 30 years and just sacrifice themselves physically? Is that what's required? Is it required in stewards that they be good-looking? <laughs> if that's the case, well, I'm in trouble. What is it? And it's, it's wonderful what he says. It's required none of those things, right? <laughs> My son's laughing like, Dad, you never lose those. You never lost the words when you're yelling at me at home. It's, 
It's not that we're rich. It's not that we're good looking. It's not that we're famous. It's not that we're so well educated we can put anybody you know, to shame that, that comes and argues and debates with us. No, it's simply this, that we are faithful. That's what God looks for in his people. That we're just faithful, that we're consistent. That we loved Jesus 20 years ago when we trusted him as our savior, we heard the gospel, we rested in it, we received his Holy Spirit, and guess what? 20 years later, we're still in love with Jesus. We're still loving his word. We're, we're, st we're still faithful to his commands. We're still praying, Lord, give me more faith. Lord, give me more obedience. Let me be more faithful to you. But that's what he wants, that's it. Faithful, consistent. But in this context, it even has another direct application. Faithful to the mysteries of God. Faithful to the gospel itself. Faithful to this proclamation of this which saves souls, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. So I hope we get this. And this is for all of us too. This is not just for the apostles, although to them it was given as the foundation of the church. Those, those men proclaimed that truth to young preachers like Timothy and Titus and others that were ordained throughout the churches. They proclaimed that message, but it's for all of us. We're all to make disciples, right? And so we're really first and foremost called folks to be faithful to the message of the gospel. So we, there are people who are, have been faithful to attend their church for years and years. There are those who have those, what, remember if you were ever in Sunday school classes? How many ever heard of Sunday school classes? All right, good, you all know what I'm saying? And you would see guys, sometimes they would have sashes. Some churches did this. And they would have buttons for every year you were faithful to Sunday school. Some guys look like a Girl Scout or a Cub Scout. A Cub Scout, I should say. Guys, okay, the, the women would have, yeah. Anyway, whatever your boy or Girl Scout. You had all these sashes with all these buttons on it for all these years of faithfulness to Sunday school. Wow, that's great. You got to keep that when you get to heaven so you can show them. So you can get in. I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's what sometimes we think, okay, be, I've been faithful to church. I've been faithful to read my Bible all these years. I've been faithful to go on mission trips. I've been faithful to go to city gospel mission. I've been faithful to help people in nice ways. Those are good things. And those are offshoots of what the gospel does to us, right? It causes us to love our neighbor, causes us to, to, to help those who are hurting. Yes, it's part of that, but it's not what Paul's saying here in this context. He says the first and foremost thing we must be faithful to are the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? The gospel in Christ Jesus. Again, being faithful that we are very clear with people that, that we are helping and talking to, that we get to the point that they are sinners separated from a holy God in need of his grace found in Christ and Christ alone. That is the good news that sets them free. That is, that is the good news. That, 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 that there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. No man gets to the Father but through me. Why? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the mystery of God. He's the revelation of God's mystery. So we're going to be faithful as all Christians. So this is where it gets tough, right? Uh, I'm getting tough on Wednesday night. Here it is. This is where it gets tough for us. Because we can... It's socially acceptable to go to City Gospel Mission and help serve hungry people that are homeless, right? So we can do that, and we can literally feel good about ourselves when we get back right, from that. I, I did that. You go to church sometimes. Again, we, we stress this a lot. we got to be careful for the moral therapeutic deism, that idea that I go to church, and it's more about me than it is about God. Because I go, I feel good about myself, so I, I want to feel good this week, so I better go to church. Folks, and, then, and again, those are not bad things. But here's where we're going to push ourselves. Are we faithful stewards of the mysteries of God, the gospel? Are we faithfully telling people their need to repent and, and trust Christ and his work and his work alone? granddaughter wants to that's good but are we doing that right that's the that's the that's the that's the question only you know we, we all have to answer our, ourselves here that's the push so I, i'm challenging you i'm challenging me let's take the opportunities to bring christ up in a conversation not just here's a cup of cold water in christ's name that's that's okay 
But the reason I'm giving you this cup of cold water is so that you'll listen to me as I tell you about Jesus who changed my life and he'll change your life. Do you see my, do you, do you see that? Because as I've said, I can't say a million times, but it's been many, many times. What good is it if we feed somebody and they die with a full belly and yet spend eternity in hell? You see the point there? That's why the gospel, the mystery of, of, of God is so much more valuable than all these things. And that's why Paul is so dedicated to say, I am a, I am, I'm a servant of God and what he stewarded me with is the mystery of salvation in Christ. It's hidden to people until I tell them. That's, that's how God has ordained this thing, folks. It's a mystery to people until someone tells them about Jesus. And who is he commissioned to do that? Us. That's why we're here. So again, I've just been reminded of this as I've studied this this week, and I don't want to be miserably convicted by myself, so now you're convicted, I hope, by the Word of God and challenged to live outside of that comfort zone for the sake of the mystery of the gospel so that it's not a mystery to people anymore, but we're sharing it and proclaiming it. All right, let me continue. He, He goes on to say, in 1 Timothy 6, this is again where he takes this to, 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 to just another level. As, as, as in his life, he, he was dedicated to things before, right? We know that Paul was very disciplined, so he was well-educated. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had a great reputation. He had a great name. He had climbed the corporate ladder of Phariseeism. And even being good in that religion, he thought he was being good. But since his radical conversion on the road to Damascus, where, he, where the mystery of God became real to him, and he realized, whoa, I am persecuting Christ. He is the Messiah. He is risen. <laughs> he was changed. And since that time, Paul's life has been consumed with being faithful and being a steward of the gospel. And look what he says to Timothy here, that young preacher, as he wrote to him, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, he says, oh, Timothy, oh, Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. So there's that language again. There's been a deposit entrusted to us as as believers. And he says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have swerved from the the, the faith. So, So here it is. He's saying, oh, Timothy, be so dedicated to this which is entrusted to you, this precious gospel that Christ and Christ alone is what makes us right with God. Now, you're going to hear babble, he says. You're going to hear contradictions in the church and in the world. Avoid it. Ignore it. Be so committed to being a faithful steward of what God has called you to be that it just bounces off your ears and you keep preaching Christ. That's what he's saying. And it's for us, too, folks. We're hearing all kinds of ridiculousness in our world. In the church, we hear all kinds of strange babble about what it means to be a Christian. In our world, we hear all kinds of strange babble. And yet what Paul's telling us is ignore that. Let us be dedicated to the mystery God has revealed to us, his word that reveals Christ. Let's be faithful to that. Now, to whom Paul is faithful is a given, right? I'm faithful to somebody. He's a good, he, if he's a steward, that means he has a master. He's faithful to the steward. Who is his master? Well, obviously his master is God. He's faithful to God. Now look at this. And this is the crux of the matter here, folks. It's our master that changes our lives, the way we respond to things. If we're just now, if we just realize this, folks, this is, this is glorious for us. If we realize that we have been made servants by the gospel, when we trusted Christ, we died to ourselves, and now I'm a servant, and I'm a steward. Everything I have has been given to me. I'm simply taking care of something that's been entrusted to me. It's a gift. And I'm taking care of it for who? My master. Knowing that I have a master in heaven, God, determines how I interact with my fellow humans on this earth now, and it changes my life. It really will. Being focused on our master, as Paul is telling us here, by being faithful and being consumed with being a steward of what he's given me, I will now be able to ignore, like he told Timothy, the ridiculousness of people around me. 
it's freeing. This changed the way he handled critical judgments against him. And it can change the way you and I handle critical judgments spoken against us. It really is the only thing that changes that. You're either going to listen to people say stuff about you, looking at yourself and being consumed with your own identity. And if that's where you're at, if you're alive and well, if you, if you your nature, you, your selfishness, if that's alive and well, then you're going to be hurt by everything people say to you. You're going to take everything personally because all you care about is you. Whereas if I am dead to myself, as Paul said he was, and alive in Christ, it's not me who lives anymore, but Christ who lives in me, I'm not offended at all because I'm dead. <laughs> you can't offend a dead guy, right? Dead people don't get offended. They can't, they can't. They can't do anything but stink. And that's what we want to be, right? Dead. Okay, maybe not stinky. I don't, I'm, my analogy breaks down here. But my, the point is, I don't want to be alive to myself because I'm going to be so sensitive to everything people say to me. If I'm dead to myself, Christ can take care of himself, folks. That's who they're attacking. It's not us. So I hope we get this. Look at verse 3. Here's, here's what he goes on to say to prove this, this point. <laughs> I love how Paul does this. Look what he says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Touche. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, Paul's been being ridiculed by the Galatians. We see it here. We saw it a little bit in Philippians. Now we're seeing it here in Corinthians by his response. He knows that his, his apostleship being questioned. He's not as good as these other guys. That was all through Galatians, that kind of accusation. But what Paul says is, you know what, guys, really? It's no big deal. It's a, it's a very small thing to me that you judge me. <laughs> I'm not worried about your judgment or any human court of opinion. Wow. What a powerful statement that Christians today in 20, whatever, the, 2021 <laughs> need to take to heart. Look what he goes on here. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. Now, there's a couple of things Paul does here. He dismisses two kinds of judgment as being illegitimate. Paul dismisses two kinds of judgment as being totally illegitimate. Number one, the judgment of others. The judgment of others is illegitimate. Why? Because they are not infallible and they are not sovereign. They're other human beings. So therefore, their final judgment, and this is again the judgment, we're going to talk about judgment in a moment, but this is the kind of judgment Paul's inferring, a final verdict about you, a final judgment about who you are and what you're doing and how you're serving. Paul says the judgment that comes from another human being about that concerning you is illegitimate because they're, he didn't care <laughs> about it. And then the second one he says is the judgment of self. Paul said, I don't even care what I judge myself to be. My judgment. I don't trust it. It's illegitimate because it's objective. And we justify ourselves too easily. He knows his human heart. Paul justified all the stuff he was doing before. He already made a bad evaluation of himself. When he said, I was zealous for the law. I prayed so many times a day. I did so many other great things. I spoke with great fervor. I even persecuted the church of Christ. That was his judgment of good. I mean, he, when he judged himself, he thinks I'm pretty good. <laughs> so Paul already knows I can't even trust my own judgment about myself. I justify things in my life that are just wrong. So it's important that we understand that as well. Notice this, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, he, he says all of this together. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. <laughs> if I judge myself, I don't see anything wrong, is what he's saying. That's how depraved we are and, and, and deceived we are. But look what he says. But I am not thereby acquitted. That doesn't make me right, he says. Just because if I judge myself, I, I somehow justify everything, but that doesn't make me justified just because I say I'm okay. Look what he says in the last part of that verse. It is the Lord who judges me. 
So based on this part about us self-judging, Proverbs 16, 2 says this, <laughs> very true. It says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Dealing with false gods, by the way, we're doing that in 1 Samuel. We saw how the people of Israel left God, Yahweh, and began to incorporate the worship of false deities. We think we're off the hook, but we do the same thing. And I think the application here has got to be, even if in our hearts we leave God, because the idea they're saying is, he didn't see me raising my hands physically to some false god. The implication here is that God knows my heart has already left him for false gods. And therefore, for us today, we've got to understand, we've got to say, Lord, search me, try me. Am I worshiping false things? Am I worshiping good deeds? Am I worshiping myself more than you? God, you know my heart. And I'll judge things as being okay, but I'm going to let you judge me. Because you know my heart, the secrets of the heart. So only, only the judgment of God is legitimate, is what Paul's saying. Only the judgment of God is legitimate because he is infallible. He is sovereign. He is omniscient. He, therefore, he's the only one that can make a judgment. Does that make sense? Yes, I think, obviously. So look what, look what we see in verse uh, uh, 5. Actually, uh, Proverbs 16, 2, I meant to read that too. I skipped right over it in my excitement. Sorry. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me read it real quick. It's good. Uh, Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. See, the, the proverb writer of Proverbs here, Solomon, he knew that. He knew what our hearts are. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. You're always going to justify yourself. But the Lord weighs the motives. So again, the heart, the motives, the inside, the whys we're doing things, God sees all that. That's why only he can judge us. Because see, when your friends tell you, oh, even when we get good judgments and they say, wow, you're a pretty good guy, right? And I'm going to be mean here to my, my, one of my earthly idols, Frank Schott Sr. I mean, this man has been faithful, right, to serve God. But I know, I, I, I thank God for his strength because most guys would have a bigger head than this man has. The accolades he's gotten, right? Praise. And here's the thing. People will look at people and give us good praise sometimes, right? You did a great job. Um, you've been f faithful. You've loved Betty for all these years. What a man. I'm kidding, Betty. I love Betty too, right? <laughs> Frank's in there. I like it. What I'm saying is that people can look at other people and just give all kinds of accolades about, oh, you look good. You did this. Hey, you've been going to church all those years, right? But the problem is, they don't see our heart. They don't know our motives. So we've we, we got to be careful not to believe the good judgments of other people towards us. Folks, we've got to be faithful to listen to God's word and his judgments about us. Search the deep recesses of our heart. And only we know why we're coming to church. Only we know why we're doing the service that we're doing. And only God knows, Right? I can't believe I just made that mistake. Even we don't know why exactly we're doing it. We can justify and lie to ourselves even. So literally it is only God who knows the depth of our motives and the depth of our heart. Therefore, he's the only, only judge that matters. So look at this. Verse 5. Paul's winding it up here. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. That's what he's saying, basically. Do not judge somebody before the time. And what's he mean? Before the Lord comes. He will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. So what Paul's revealing again is how important motives are to God. The outside really does not matter. This is how we deceive each other and ourselves by our outside works and our outside goodness. But God is not fooled by that. He's not fooled by our words when we say we're Christians and we can say all the right things. He's not fooled by the times we serve in the right ways and right places. He's concerned about a genuine heart change in the motives and the secret places that only he can see. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment because you can't. Only God can. Is what, that, that, that's what Paul's saying. He goes on to end this by saying, then each one will receive his commendation from God. 
That's our goal. So, so when we wrap this all together, Paul is saying, I am so consumed with being a good steward of my master, God. I want to be faithful to promote the gospel that's been entrusted to me because that's why I live. I don't live to please my neighbor, my mom, my dad, my family, my friends, my church friends. Nope, I live to please God because he's the one I'll stand before one day and he is the one I want to hear say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, just real closing, a few comments to close. This does not mean we never judge. <laughs> so he's like, wait a minute, uh, you just lost me here. This never means, this doesn't mean we never make judgments, we'll say, okay? The, the definition of judgment is this, from, from a dictionary, to form an opinion or an estimation about something. That's what it means to judge. So, so that's, that, in that sense, we are called to do that daily. We're called to make decisions about things, right? We have to form opinions about things. Therefore, we have to evaluate things and make a choice. So, so the, it, it's, it, it, okay, so what, what are we saying here? Paul was talking about that ultimate kind of judgment that pronounces a total declaration of somebody, like a judge would do after a hearing and all the evidence is gathered. He makes a, a, a verdict. Boom, this is it. Only God can do that to our lives at the end of our lives when, he, when we stand before him. That's a different kind of judgment than making choices and looking and evaluating things and saying, hey, this is wrong or this is right. I hope this is making sense. But discernment is in a sense a kind of judgment, but it's not judgmental. Because the difference is when we're judgmental, we're condescending and we're arrogant and we're lifting ourselves up as being better than others. Okay, but if I'm simply making a judgment based on true evidence and facts, I'm just making an evaluation. I'm making a choice. First John 4.1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. That's making a judgment. I'm hearing some teaching. I have to make a decision. Is this false teaching or is this true teaching? Do you see, do you see my point? So yes, we must be faithful to make judgments, but not be judgmental. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 5, 12. We're going to get there in a few weeks. Paul says this, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Now, he's talking to the church at Corinth, right? Those who profess faith in Christ, those who proclaim to be Christians. So he's saying, What do I have to do with judging those outside of the Christ and outside of the church is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So there's, there it is. There is this biblical principle as well that we as believers, members of one another in a local church, are to make judgments about each other. Again, not being judgmental or condescending or holier than thou, but to look at someone and say, wow, I, I, I see by the evidence that you're faithful in some things or not faithful in some things. Here's the key, ready? When, when we do what Paul's saying here, as far as being in the body together and seeing another Christian and we see them in sin, we're to make a judgment about that. We're not to let them go. We're to say, wait a minute, this is wrong. How do we do that without being condescending and arrogant? Here's why and how we simply proclaim the judgment that God has already made about something. And to do that, we've got to use the word of God, not our opinions, when we make that judgment. Are you following that? Here's, here it is. This is, what, this is the famous verse of all right here on judgment. The world loves to quote this verse. People love this verse. Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. <laughs> and that's the verse everybody uses to say, no, you can never make a judgment about somebody else. Well, we've already seen the Bible establishes that we can and should. So what is this talking about? We're almost through, folks. Bear with me. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Let's read all this in context. Look what it says. He says, judge not that ye be not judged. Now look, that's where everybody stops, right? But look at the rest of this. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. 
And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he goes on to give a principle then of judging one another how we should do it. So it's wrong for somebody to take the first part of that verse and say, oh, the Bible says don't judge. No, it says this, judge properly. That's what it's saying. Do not judge hypocritically. Do not judge arrogantly. Do not judge condescendingly. Lifting yourself up over somebody else's, well, I, can't, I never, I can't, I can't believe you did that. You are the most, oh my goodness. That's, that's not what he's saying. We can't approach anybody that way. Why? Because we could also be guilty of that same sin just like that, but by the grace of God. So then why would we say anything to them? Why would we say anything about their lifestyle if we're just as much of a sinner? Because we're proclaiming what God has already judged in their life. We're representing God as he's called us to be ambassadors and do the ministry of reconciliation. So in all humility, if we truly love our brothers and sisters and we see them in sin, we go to them in all humility and brokenness and love and simply relay the message of God's judgment that he has already made about that activity. God says this is wrong and we want you to walk right with God. Because look what he says here. Look at this principle. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not see the log in your own eye? He doesn't stop there and just say, walk around with your specks and your logs and leave each other alone. He didn't say that. He says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. So there's self-confrontation with the word of God, judging by the word of God, not your own opinion, and humbling yourself and confessing that. And then look what he goes on to say. And then you will see clearly to do what? To ignore the speck in your brother's eye? No, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do you see that? To make a judgment based on the word of God, to go to your brother and say, here's what the word says. Here's why you, you have to repent of this. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. It's hard. It's not easy. But by God's grace as a church, we try to obey his word. That's called church discipline. We, we, we talked about this. We, we, we practiced this. And we're going to be talking more as we continue through the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians because that church needed a lot of whoopings, <laughs> a lot of discipline, as we're going to see. But in conclusion, let me just say this. I hope, I hope this helps. I want, to, I want to encourage us to be, first and foremost, good, faithful stewards of the gospel, first and foremost. The gospel that's been given to us, the gospel that changed our lives, right? The gospel that takes a sinner who's deserving of God's wrath and makes them sons and daughters of, a, of God. <laughs> That's amazing. But then that same person realizes it's but by the grace of God that I am where I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. And I want to go tell other people about that grace. Out of love, not judgmental. We don't go into the world and try to condemn everybody in sin and, and point out their sin in an angry way. No, we're going out there as sinners who've been rescued to try to rescue somebody else that was just like us. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 says, all this is from God. Remember that we saw that last week, that everything's from God. Everything we have, we have everything. It's all yours through Christ. And he reminds us again, all this is from God. So therefore we can't brag and we can't boast and we can't be arrogant. We can't judge each other in an arrogant way. Because everything we have is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, and look, here it is, here's the entrusting. He gave us the, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And look at this and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So there it is. That, that's the stewardship we've been given. This, if, if we will focus on that, I, this is what we got to encourage each other as Christians, right? 
to con- this is what church is about. We come together, we hear the word of God, we, we pray, the Holy Spirit fills us and gives us the grace to not worry about what this crazy world is saying about us, to not worry about what anybody else's judgments are of us, but just to worry about one, God's judgment about us. And am I faithfully proclaiming this good news? Am I, am I out there concerned about reconciling my neighbor, my coworker, my friend, my, my, my sons, my daughters, my family to God? That should consume our lives. And if, it, if we're focused on that, we're going to have a lot less pain and anxiety Man, if you just turn off CNN and Fox News for a day and go witness to your neighbor, you're going to feel a lot better. <laughs> you're just going to do it. It's going to work. That's what God has made us for. So let's pray for each other as a church that we'll be faithful stewards. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the, the truth that teaches us and instructs us. Your spirit has to apply this, Father, because I'm not capable of expressing things in a way to change anybody. But Father, your spirit and your word are. So that's our prayer tonight, that you will make effectual your word to us tonight and cause us to be your servants, faithfully dedicated to you by your grace through Christ, reconciling the world to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.